Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. So I want us to go to Acts again today, but we're also going to be looking at First Chronicles of all things and kind of jumping back and forth. It's kind of maybe a strange hodgepodge of, of a message today, but I believe the Lord has something really important for us to hear. And uh, uh, I haven't preached out of the Book of Acts in a few weeks, and so I and, and today being the day of Pentecost. Just want to do a little bit of a review, I guess, and uh, more mainly when we finally get to it, going to look at some verses in Acts chapter 15 that we've already gone over, and talking about the tabernacle of David and the restoration of the tabernacle of David and what a New Testament church really looks like, and talking about two main things the presence of God and the Word of God. The presence, the power, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the operation of God's Word in our lives, and the love of God in our lives. And I kind of want to start with Acts chapter 1, and it's not really in my notes, but just as this morning the Lord put this on my heart to say to you, uh, we read from Acts 2, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, uh, the beginning of the church. And it says in, in verse one, in chapter one, uh, after Jesus ascended unto heaven, it says in verse twelve that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. And they were all there with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And we know that there were about 120 of them. You know, actually a few more than we have here this morning. And I want to just ask you, just challenge you with this question. Uh, as you look around this morning and all the people that are here today, do you know everybody's name that's in this room today? You know, do you know them personally? And everybody tends to kind of sit in their little corners and a few gregarious people in the church know absolutely everybody. But so many of us, we just come to church and we're just kind of sitting there and we don't know anybody else. And uh, let alone to be able to continue in one mind with one another and to be devoted to prayer. And this isn't really, I'm not saying this to offend anybody, I just want to draw this contrast so we are challenged to see what the New Testament church looks like. We're not really a church where we're all devoted uh, to prayer together. Uh, you can just come on Tuesday morning prayer meetings and count how many people are here to know that. And of course, Tuesday morning is not convenient for some people, but you know, this, this, this thing that we see in the New Testament church, this life of the Holy Spirit amongst them, the love, and the unity. I mean, they had conflicts. We've already looked at Paul and Barnabas and the conflict that they had that was 
pretty severe. They didn't agree on every single thing, but they had one mind that together they were striving to know and understand the will of God. And this is before the Holy Spirit came. You know, no amount of anointing of the Holy Ghost, no amount of miracles and signs and wonders or outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no amount of speaking in tongues or prophesying, no amount of any of that is going to draw us together in love for one another. Is going to draw us together in a devotion to prayer if our hearts are not set towards Jesus. And so we see this in the New Testament church, that there are two uh, factors that are, that are essential to the church being what the church is called to be. And the one is the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But if you'll notice, that comes after, after their dedication to the Word of God and to the, to the words of Jesus. They were gathered together there because that's what Jesus told them to do and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And they were devoted in prayer because they were devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And we see this with both of them. Now I want to take kind of a step away from that and just hold on to that and go over to Revelation chapter 4. This is actually sort of a, a conglomeration of what we've been going through. On Tuesday evenings, we've been doing a study on the book of Revelation. And if you haven't been coming to that, Please jump in and join us on Tuesday evenings at 6.30 because it's, it's, it's fun. It's really good. And uh, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, we read about the 24 elders. And without reading the context, we've, we've gone over this on Tuesday evenings. But look at verse 4. It says, around the throne, the throne of God in heaven, around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. I want to talk to you this morning about these 24 elders and about the restoration of the tabernacle of David. That sentence that I just stated, for many of you, doesn't make any sense, but I, want, I, want, I, I hope and I pray this morning that some sense is going to come uh, from that to you as we look at, at the scripture. Uh, a lot of people have asked me, as we've been going through Revelation in my life, a lot of people have asked me, well, who exactly are the 24 elders? And I always answer, well, I don't know their names, but there are things that I can tell you about them. And one of the things I can tell you about them is that they are not angels. They are, they are humans. They are sitting on, seated on thrones. They have crowns that have been given to them, and they offer up the prayers of the saints to God. And we see a contrast between them and the four living creatures who are angels, who they are, what their names are. I actually have some theories on that. I'm not going into that today. It doesn't really matter. They are 24 elders. Now, hold on to that and go with me to First Chronicles. We're going to kind of be jumping back and forth with First Chronicles, a book of the Bible that we don't very often read because it has long lists of names and details that sometimes can seem uh, overwhelming to us. But just like the book of Leviticus, the gospel is preached and Jesus is manifest in the books of the Chronicles. So go with me to 1 Chronicles and chapter 24. 1 Chronicles and chapter 24. And I want to read from verses 1 through 4. Before I do that, I want to just ask you this morning to take what is heavenly, to take what is spiritual, and to really bring it down to apply it to your own life. Because one thing that I want you to know about elders, whoever those 24 elders are, and whatever their names are, they're written about in the scripture as an example to us. 
that everything in the scripture is written to us for our real lives today. And we have many elders in this room right now. If you're a head of a household, if you're a, a father or a mother, a grandfather or a grandmother, you are an elder in the body of Christ. And you have an anointing and a call from God to be that elder. So I want you to focus on that. And see, that if you're a kid today, you've got one of the PPs, you're saying, well, I'm not an elder. That's not true. You're an elder in training. You may be an older brother. You may be an older sister. You may be an uncle. You may be an aunt. Uh, but I promise you, we all have this call upon our lives to be disciples of Jesus, to be witnesses for Jesus, to be elders that lead others into the presence of God. And that's what we see the 24 elders doing. So look with me at 1 Chronicles chapter 24. Chapter 24. And we're going to, I need to give you a little background, okay, on these elders. In 1 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 1, it says, you've got to put your thinking caps on, pay attention to all these names. Now the divisions of the descendants of Aaron were these. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no sons. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests. David with Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar. So you have David, Zadok, and Ahimelech. These are three guys. You know who David is. Zadok is the high priest, and Ahimelech is the high priest. And they take turns being high priests because Zadok is the descendant of Eleazar, who's the son of Aaron, and Ahimelech is the descendant of Ithamar, who is the son of Aaron. You follow me? Okay. So Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to their offices. This is the tabernacle of David, spoken of in Acts chapter 15. Divided them according to their offices for their ministry. Since more chief men, or since more elders, were found from the descendants of Eleazar than the descendants of Ithamar, they divided them thus. There were 16 heads of fathers' households of the descendants of Eleazar, or 16 elders, and eight of the descendants of Ithamar, according to their fathers' households. Thus they were divided by lot, the one as the other. And if you were to read on chapter 24, you'd actually get their names. There are how many elders? What's 16 plus 8? Anybody with PP tell me what 16 plus 8 is? 24. 16 plus 8. 24. 24. So there were 24 elders established in the tabernacle of David. And they were all descendants of the high priest Aaron. And their job was to serve and minister to the, the main high priest. And the main, the high priest of the high priest here is actually Zadok, and that comes up in some other places. But the other guy is his helper. And these 24 elders, they are priests themselves. The New Testament tells us that you are a royal priesthood. Okay? And they are priests who minister to the high priest. They are 24 elders. But you notice that it said that Aaron had four sons. He had four sons, but only two of them lived, and only two of them served as the legitimate high priestly line. That's Eleazar and Ithamar. So what happened to the other two? Well, we're not going to open that scripture, but it's important for us to understand this. In Numbers chapter 3, 
and you can read in verse 4, read the whole context, it tells us that Nadab and Abihu, the other two sons, that they died in the wilderness. And it tells us why they died in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness, the Bible says, because they offered strange fire unto the Lord. Okay? What in the world is strange fire? Well, I want to tell you. Strange fire is when we have the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's disjoined from the Word of God and from obedience to God. They offered up fire, they offered up incense, they offered up worship. They came to church, raised their hands, praised the Lord, but they were not living in accordance to the, and not walking in accordance to the Word of God. They were not obeying the Word of God. They were not doing as God had commanded them. And you know there are story after story in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, of people who seemingly do the right thing, their heart's in the right place, you know what I'm saying? And somehow, God doesn't uh, look on that the way that we've learned to look on that in our modern culture. Your heart's not in the right place if you're not obeying what God's told you to obey. You understand? God is asking not for strange fire, but for the fire that he, is, he even tells them exactly how they're to mix the frankincense and the myrrh and whatever and put that all together for the incense. Exactly who can bring that forth. Remember when David wanted to bring the ark up, when he wanted to start the tabernacle of David. He didn't consult the word of God first, and so they made a mistake, and the guy died because of that. And then David repented. He didn't say, that's not fair, God. He repented. He said, I've got to do it God's way. So we need both of those in the church, the move of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and obedience to the word of God. So, Nadab and Amihu, they died in the wilderness, and Eleazar and Ithamar were left. Now look with me at 1 Chronicles chapter 23, the chapter right before that. And look at verse 12. Let's give you some background. It says in verse 12, the sons of Kohath, okay, they were four. So who is Kohath? Kohath is one of the sons of Levi, and the tribe of Levi, the Levites, they were all priests dedicated to serve the Lord. There's much we could say about them. But he is the son of Levi. It says, the sons of Kohath were four. Amram, Ijar, Hebron, and Uziel. But the sons of Amram, that's his name, were Aaron and Moses. So we know what Aaron and Moses' dad's name was, is Amram. So they are of the tribe of Levi. You see that? And it says in verse uh, 2, or verse uh, uh, 13, that Aaron was set apart to sanctify him as most holy, he and his sons forever, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name forever. But as for Moses, the man of God, his sons were named among the tribe of Levi. So even Moses, even Moses, the man of God, did not have the call and the anointing from God to stand in the place of the high priest. And all the sons of Moses were Levites, they were priests, but they were not of the line of the high priest. God chose Aaron. Why did God chose, choose Aaron? Doesn't seem like a very good candidate to me. In fact, Aaron, in my mind, was a pretty terrible candidate. Remember the, the uh, golden calf and all that kind of stuff? 
But you know, God doesn't choose us according to how good of a candidate we are. If you're here today, you're chosen by God. You're here for a reason and a purpose, and you may not feel like you're worthy, and you may not feel like you're good enough for it, but that doesn't really matter. You've been chosen by God. Uh, it's, it's this predestination. It's this, this election that we have in Christ Jesus. You've been chosen not because of your worthiness, but because of the worthiness of Jesus Christ. That by his blood, he paid the price for all of us and all of our sin. You know, I would tell you that there are many days when I don't feel like I'm worthy to preach the gospel. And there are some times when I just rather quit. And every time it's just like, Jeremiah, well, what am I going to do? It's fire in my bones. I can't not obey God. I'm going to get more trouble from that. So I better just get my act together and keep obeying God. We keep following him and doing what he's called us to do, to be his witnesses in this world. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, not because Peter and John were the best candidates for that. John's a little bit better than Peter, I think. But Peter definitely had not been a good candidate for that. But the Holy Spirit is poured out on them that day. I mean, think about it. Peter denied Jesus three times. He basically did what Judas did. But he didn't go as far as Judas went. And he repented and he came back to the Lord. You don't have to be perfect for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on you. In fact, it's in our weaknesses that God's strength is made perfect. Okay, so uh, Amram is a Levite. His, his wife is a Levite. They have given birth to Aaron and Moses. Aaron has these four sons, of which two are left, Eleazar and Ithamar. Now go with me over to Numbers chapter 20. So the little study in the Old Testament here, Numbers chapter 20. Back there, another place where the pages are stuck together, probably. Numbers chapter 20. And look at me at verse 23. So, Aaron has a son named Eleazar, right? And he has another son named Ithamar. Which of those two, then, does God choose to be the high priest? Look at verse Chapter 20, verse 23. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron will be gathered to his people. This, by the way, is the mountain where God leads Moses up to this mountain, and he sees the entire land of promise, and God tells him he's not going to go into that. And it says uh, that, they, that they go up to Mount Hor, and this is what God says. God says, Aaron will be gathered to his people. That means he's going to die. For he shall not enter the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. And he tells them why. Because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eleazar and bring them up to Mount Or. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eleazar. So Aaron will be gathered to his people and he will die there. So Moses did just as the Lord had commanded and they went up to the Mount, to Mount Or in the sight of all the congregation. And after Moses had stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eleazar, Aaron died there on the mountaintop. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days. So because of Moses' sin, because of his unbelief, and because also of Aaron's, God said that he will not enter the land of promise. I'm going to do something new, okay? 
And this is very much a type and a shadow, a picture of the establishment of the New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will do something new. And so he, he is stripped of his garments. They're put on his son, Eleazar, and God chooses Eleazar to go into the land of the of promise and to be the high priest, okay? Then look at Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. Eleazar is a type of Jesus Christ, our high priest. Numbers chapter 25. The, the, the priesthood is shifted to Eleazar. Numbers chapter 25. And in verse 6, Eleazar also has a son. And his name is Phinehas. Phinehas. And in Numbers chapter 25, beginning with verse 6, we read, Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, saw the son, the son of Aaron, uh, the priest, so this is Aaron's grandson, this is the son of Eleazar, when he saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation and he took a spear in his hand. You, you can make that with the pipe cleaners. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked, and those who died by the plague were 24,000. So that's pretty zealous. And in fact, it might seem that God wouldn't be too happy about that. I mean, shouldn't they have just gone and told the guy that what you're doing in the house of God and the camp of God really isn't right? You shouldn't be going to the brothels and bringing those ladies in here, or you shouldn't be doing this thing, or you shouldn't be doing that thing. Shouldn't they just have a little bit more patience with the guy, and a little bit more tolerance with the guy? That's how we would approach this. But look how God approaches it. It says in verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to them, Please, I'm not saying to you, don't make a spear kill somebody like that. Okay? You understand? But this is speaking to us today about the zeal for the house of God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel." So God promises that the high priest will always come from the line of Phinehas, who comes from the line of Eleazar, who comes from the line of Aaron. Okay, that's really important to understand the story. Both Eleazar and Phinehas are types and shadows of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit right here in our church today. We know about Jesus, that when he cleansed the temple, the disciples remembered this verse and said of him, that zeal for thine house has consumed me, right? And Jesus said that this house, the house of my father, must be a house of prayer, a house where people meet God, where they commune with God, and a house of prayer for every nation, for all people, not just for some certain special people, but for all people. And he cleansed that temple, and that was the zeal for the house of God. And so we see that zeal in a type and in a picture in the Old Testament with Phinehas. But we also see that Jesus Christ 
is chosen and anointed by God to be the chief shepherd of Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship, the chief pastor over all the local churches in all the world, and the chief pastor over the universal church. He is our shepherd. He is our pastor. He is this Eleazar of the Old Testament that the priesthood shifted to him. I don't have time to go into it, but in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus' priesthood is an eternal priesthood, and it is a better priesthood than the priesthood of Aaron, because he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'd love to teach on that sometime, and I will, but the important takeaway right now is that his priesthood is better, better than the priesthood of Aaron, and the priesthood has shifted to him. And we are these elders who are around the throne of God, okay? We serve the high priest, Jesus Christ. We are representatives for every person in Yerington. We are representatives for every person in Smith Valley, for every person around the world, wherever God would call us, wherever he would lead us, where we work, where we live in our homes. Some of you have spouses or family members who are not saved, and they don't know the Lord. I can show you from 1 Corinthians, and I don't have time to go into that either, uh, about the unsaved husband and how he can be sanctified through his saved wife, or vice versa, that God wants to use you as a priest to bring people to Jesus, to bring people into relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't happen because you uh, pressure them into it. It happens because you meant not, not, not because you pressure them into going to church and being a Christian, but because you stand before the presence of God and you offer up these prayers to our high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. You know, John was sharing this morning, just started praying. And when he prayed, that's when God brought that woman to park right next to him. There's power in prayer. There's power in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, so we have Phineas. So hold on, right? Phineas is the son of Eleazar. Eleazar is the son of Aaron. But remember that Aaron had another son, and his name is Ithamar. And from Ithamar, there were taken eight elders, and from Eleazar, there were taken 16 elders centuries later during the time of David, okay? So, somewhere along the line, we don't know why and we don't know how exactly, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but the high priesthood shifted away from the family of Eleazar and went to the family of Ithamar. And we have a man in the beginning of 1 Samuel by the name of Eli. And Eli is the high priest. Remember Samuel is the little boy, and uh, he's given a word to speak to Eli, and Eli has two sons that are really bad guys. And you can go read the story in 1 Samuel in the beginning chapters. Eli's sons are the epitome of really bad pastors. I mean, really, really bad. You've never had a pastor that did as bad as these guys did. And Eli did not raise his children to know God. That was his sin. That was his failure. And it's the greatest failure of all of our lives. If we live our lives for Jesus, but we don't bring our families to Jesus, we don't live that life out loud before our children so that they know the Lord, then, then we, we failed in that. And, and that was Eli's failure. So God said, I'm going to take the high priesthood away from Eli, and I'm going to take it away from the line of Ithamar and put it back on the line of Eleazar, as I have chosen and as I have called from way back before they entered the land of promise. Okay, are you following me? Go with me to 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel chapter 2. If you don't follow all these little things, they're in your notes. You can read them, look them up. But I'm just laying some groundwork to tell you some things, one of which I want you to hear right now. 1 Samuel chapter 2. So without reading all the verses, a prophet comes to Eli to tell him what I just told you. That the priesthood is going to be taken away from you and it's going to be restored to the line of Eleazar. But ultimately, not to the line of Eleazar, but to Jesus Christ. Listen to what the prophet said. I'm going to read just a few verses. So 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 30. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, this is the prophet speaking to Eli, the high priest. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. We just read that, even though it was through Eliasar, not Ephamar, it is the house of Aaron. That this priesthood would continue forever. Yes, I did say that, God says. But now the Lord declares. In other words, I've changed my mind. Do you know that God changes his mind sometimes? In the King James, it says God repents. And it's not the kind of repentance we have uh, from sin, but it's a change of mind. And that's a very interesting thing. Uh, I think sometimes we uh, leave too much up to fate, so-called, or destiny, or something else that we've learned from some movie or read in some book or something. Uh, uh, when the fact of the matter is, uh, as Abraham stood before God's decree about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know how he bargained God down to ten righteous people. And God listened to Abraham. Do you know that God listens to our prayers? You have not because you ask not. If you want your family to be saved, if you want God to move in this church, if you want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I mean, what does it say in 1 Corinthians 14? It says to pursue love in verse 1, but also to follow after the gifts of the Spirit, but especially that you might prophesy, that you might preach the Word of God to other people. You have to desire these things. You have to want these things. If you want it, then ask God for it. Stand in faith. Bargain with God if you need to bargain with God. He's okay with that. If you're a person of faith, then God will listen to you. And the prayers you're asking him about, they didn't arise from Abraham's heart. Do you know that? The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So faith is the gift of God. It's even listed as one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift of God. So where did Abraham get that bargaining faith? He got it from God. God wanted him to bargain like that. God wants to have a reason to change his mind. God wants to have a reason to bless our families, to bless our homes, and to bless our church. Okay? So God says to Eli through this prophet, I did say that once, but now I'm changing my mind. And listen to what he says to him. Because this is a principle that's very important for us today. Look, look here at verse 30. It says, Far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. God says, and he says it to us today. This is a principle that doesn't change. If you honor me, I will honor you. If you glorify me, I will glorify you. But if you despise me, then you will be lightly esteemed. I will despise you back, and you will not get the glory and the honor that I want you to have. And so Eli learned that day 
that the priesthood was going to pass away from his family and go somewhere else. You know, sometimes we uh, have an attitude uh, of it doesn't really matter what our attitude to God is. Um, he didn't really understand that song. Uh, maybe Cassie could fill me in later on. And at the back of Lori, they were singing the song, and I just couldn't understand the way I was sitting. I couldn't hear all the words, but there was like this line in the song, like, uh, if you love me or if you hate me, uh, something along those lines. And the only thing I thought when I heard that line is, well, if, if they're talking, that, if that's God talking to us, it's not really right. You know, it's, it's not okay with God if we hate him. <laughs> it's not okay with God if we despise him. You know, and, and he says, if you want to be honored by me, then, then, then honor me. If you'll plant a seed of honor, if you'll take a step of faith to, to honor me in your lives. And, and, you know, the Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I don't think that you have to take very many steps toward God. I mean, I see the prodigal son taking a few steps in this direction and the dad just running after him. You know, you take one step towards God and I promise you, God's going to come running. He will meet you where you are. You don't have to be perfect and all cleaned up to come to him, but you have to have that perfect faith that says, I will go to him. I will honor him. He is my father, and he is my God. So God tells that to Eli, that you have not honored me. How did Eli not honor him? By not raising his kids according to the will of God. Because Eli had the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he did but he did not follow the word of God. And both of these are essential. You know, you have churches that focus on the word of God and they ignore the Holy Spirit, literally. Everything's just, you know, head, legalism, follow God's word, do these things, do that. You know, it, it doesn't work. And you have churches that are told, Holy Spirit, move and prophecy, da, 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 and everything's a mess in people's lives because they're not obeying the word of God, and that doesn't work. That's not the church we see in the book of Acts. We see the move of the Holy Spirit. We see the power of the Holy Spirit. A power that we should be jealous of because we don't have that in our church today. We don't. I mean, we just have to be honest. This is a challenge to us. Are our sons and daughters prophesying? Are our old men dreaming dreams? You know, are we witnessing to every nation on the earth? I'm not saying this to put any guilt on us. I'm saying this to challenge us. It's a challenge to me or I wouldn't be preaching it. This is what I want to see in our church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our church. So a person just walks through those doors or a person just meets you somewhere in a parking lot or at work or wherever else, and they, they just see Jesus. They know God's presence is there. They know that there's power for healing, for salvation, for deliverance. I mean, when's the last time? Uh, not that long ago, in youth group, one of the uh, kids asked me, oh, have you ever cast a demon out? I said, yeah. I wasn't well, that big of a demon, honestly. But, I mean, when's the last time that you just cast demons out? No, it's all a psychological problem. Take this pill, take this drug, do something else, do like that. That's not the church we see in the book of Acts. Why do you think, and I don't want to get off on modern political topics right now and things, this is what's happening in our nation. Every single day a shooting. Tulsa, Oklahoma, the hospital I was born in, where one of my best friends worked up until just a few years ago, the very same administrative building. A guy goes in and kills four people the other day with a gun. In the best part of town. Yes, I was born in the best part of town. It is the nicest hospital. High security. How is this stuff happening? Man, I just read about a guy that got mad at his girlfriend 
broke into a museum in Dallas, I don't know if you heard about this, and destroyed like eight or ten million dollars worth of ancient vases and glass things. But you used to be, you got mad at your girlfriend and just smashed a cup and that was it. But no, this guy breaks into a museum and destroys $10 million worth of artifacts because of anger. There's so much anger. There's so much violence being unleashed in our nation today. It's, it's what is happening in, in our world. And we're not going to be able to make it without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, so God says, because you didn't honor me, I won't honor you. And look at verse 35, verse 35 of First Samuel chapter 2. It says in verse 35, But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. This is a prophecy about Jesus. It doesn't say I will raise up for Aaron a faithful priest. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according, who will do. He won't just preach the word, he will do the word. He will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. That's the Holy Spirit. And he will walk before my anointed always. And everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. That's talking about the 24 elders. That's talking about you and me. We should be bowing down to Jesus today. You are the high priest. I need a piece of bread. I need a job. I need something to do. Is there some place you can use me in your kingdom? Is there some way I can be effective in your kingdom? Some way that I can minister according to your ministry? Because these are who the 24 elders are. And they were set up at this time. And this was a time, uh, going back to First Chronicles, when David is establishing his tabernacle. It's a time of the restoration of the high priestly ministry. Everything was in disarray. And David said, we have to get it in order. So go with me over to Revelation chapter 5. Let's get back to Revelation 5. If you want to keep your finger in 1 Chronicles, you can't. So let's get back there for a minute. Go with me back to Revelation chapter 5. The 24 elders. The 24 elders. I don't want to get lost too much in these historical details. But listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Revelation chapter 5. Actually, I'd love to get lost in historical details, but I don't want you to get lost in in Revelation chapter 5 and in verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. This is the Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth. You know the Holy Spirit has been poured out into all the earth. Peter said that it would be poured out on all flesh, on your sons, on your daughters, on all of your family. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one holding a, faith is holding a heart. So the 24 elders, each one of them has a heart. Each one of them has a musical instrument. Okay? And a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they sing this new song, worthy you to take the book and to break its seals. The 24 elders offer up the prayers of the saints. 
The Spirit of God, the seven spirits of God, that just means the one Holy Spirit. I could explain that I did in the book of Revelation. But the Holy Spirit is working through these 24 elders to offer up the prayers of the saints. If nothing else, just think of your family right now and the elder that God has placed you to be in that family. And don't say, I'm too young. God told Jeremiah, don't you dare say, I'm too young. If God's called you. He's given you an anointed the Holy Spirit that you offer up these prayers. And they offer up these prayers of the saints. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. You need to know this today. You don't, and I don't, know how to pray as we should. We don't know how to pray as we should. It's okay to confess our weakness and let God be strong in that weakness. To be a prayer warrior doesn't mean that you went to a prayer seminar and learned how to pray. And it's okay if you did, and that's wonderful. But you don't have to do that. All you need is the Holy Spirit in your life. The best prayer warriors are little children that, that, that yield themselves to the Holy Spirit. With that simple childlike faith. We do not know how to pray as we should, it says. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. They all began to speak with other tongues. And he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then we have verse 28 that everybody knows that God causes all things to work together for the good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We love to quote that, but that only works when we are interceding together with the Holy Spirit. How does he cause all things to work together for the good in our lives? How does he turn around the worst situations and bring them to bring, bring good in our lives as we intercede and we offer up these prayers of the saints before the high priest, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ? It is our priestly ministry. I promise you, there is no powerful ministry you have than to stand as a priest for your family, for this church, for all of Yarrington, for wherever God has given you, wherever the sole of your foot has tread, God has given that land unto you. And you don't know how to pray as you should. Now, I don't, I think everybody knows we've been lifting up Karina and Dominic and Noel and their family, and they've gone through a real tragedy this week. And I'll tell you, when I first got the phone call to hear about that, all I could think is, God, I don't even know how to pray. There's no way you can know how to pray as you should. And I'm telling you, I just began to pray in other times. I just began to intercede with the Holy Spirit and turn to the Word of God and open my heart to hear what God is saying. And I, I told the Supreme all day, and I heard the Holy Spirit saying, He's with me. Everything's okay. Amen. He's with me. And I just remember the time I prayed for them. I remember him here on Easter. And I just had that confidence from the Holy Spirit. And before I prayed, I didn't have that confidence. I didn't know where he was, where Creator's Father was. But I knew in that moment. Because the Holy Spirit opens these things up for us. Mysteries that we do not know. It's a ministry of a high priest before God. Okay, so hold on just for a minute. This won't take long, I promise. Don't give up on me. Okay, I'm going to take another step back into the history of this. Because you have to see this. We have those 24 elders, right? But in the tabernacle of David, there were another 24 elders. These were musicians. I don't know if our musicians know this. They'll be coming up here pretty soon. 
that you are elders in the tabernacle of David. There are people in here today who have musical talent from God. And they're embarrassed about it, and they don't know how to use that for God. There are people in here today who have artistic talents from God. There are people in here today who have organizational gifts from God to organize things. You know, there are people in this church that I know by name who are able to say, we need some volunteers, and 20 people are going to run out and say yes, just because they have an anointing for that. And I can say we need some volunteers, and I'd be happy if one person showed up. But some, everybody has their own anointing. Everybody has their gift and their call. And there were 24 elders who were established over the worship in the church. You know, the worship is not just the uh, appetizer before the sermon. And the sermon isn't just the dessert after the worship. Some people say, well, I just pray to have a church where we can say good worship. I don't care about the sermon. Well, I just want to have a church where they're preaching the word of God. I don't care about the worship. But then you want a church where either you're making a choice between the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit or the word of God. And there's no such church in the New Testament. God wants both. Why can't we have the best? Our high priest is better than the priesthood of Aaron. And we are chosen as elders and as priests together with him. Okay, so hold on just for a minute. First uh, Chronicles chapter 25. Okay, go back to First Chronicles chapter 25. If you want to, read all these chapters in context later. Verse 1. Chapter 25, verse 1. It says, Moreover, David and the commanders of the army set apart for the service some of, some of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Yidutah, who were to prophesy with lyres, harps, and cymbals. And the number of those who performed their service was, and then I'm not going to give you the list, but you can read the list if you want, you can count them, 24. 24 elders established to play musical instruments and sing songs. No, established to prophesy God's word through musical instruments and songs. And amongst it, and in addition to these 24 elders, if you'll read the context, an entire team of people to organize that and to make that work. That's how important this was for the tabernacle of David, which is a picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The songs that they sang, what songs did they sing? Well, lo and behold, God gave us an entire book of the Bible. It's not the Baptist hymnal, it's the God hymnal. It's called Psalms. And you know, I remember a time when every song we sang, you could almost find it word for word in the book of Psalms. Now, I'm not trying to be too critical here. But modern praise and worship is getting further and further away from the Word of God. Further and further away from clear prophecy. Because prophecy speaks the Word of God with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit answers through the Word of God. The Bible says about signs and wonders, what do they follow? The preaching of the Word, right? So if we want to do away with the Holy Spirit or do away with the Word, then we just are doing away with church and we're offering up strange fire. There was an anointing on these people and they were chosen. They had talent from God. That's true. Okay? And I don't, you know, 
exclude that maybe God can miraculously just give somebody the talent to play a piano without them ever studying, but I kind of doubt that's going to happen. Don't really know too many examples of that. So people do have talent. They're given an ear. They study. They work hard at it. You know, we sang a song this morning. I don't need to digress too far, but we sang a song this morning, Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. That song, as I sang, I just kind of broke away to the corners of nobody would think I was just doing something weird. And I just sang the whole song in Russian. And you know why? Because it just, I mean, we've sung that a lot. It's like that, it just, just flowed over me. I remember sitting in the parking lot of Target. In 1992, knowing that God had put Russia in my heart, I moved there in 1993, and I got this—I got this tape from somewhere. Cassette tape, remember those? <laughs> it wasn't a track. I remember those too. So it was cassette tape, and it was Integrity Worship. If anybody remembers Hosanna and Integrity Worship tapes, they used to have, and it was all in Russian. And that song uh, was on. Voila. And I just put it on there. And I said, I'm going to listen to that again. Listen to it again. I don't know any Russian. I mean, I know literally like three or four words. I'm telling you the truth. And I'm listening to that. I listen to it over and over again. And sitting in the park in my target, all of a sudden, I understood what they were saying. True, I knew the words in English. But I felt that if you know a different language, it's not the same as, you know, translating word for word. I understood it in my heart. And it was the first thing I understood in Russian. And I prayed to God. I remember, God, I'm going to go to Russia. And I don't want to preach through a translator. In the book of Acts, you gave them to speak in those native tongues. I have no idea how to learn Russian. But you're going to give this to me. And I'm going to trust you for it. I worked my tail off to learn Russian. And then this happened like, you know, a laser beam and you speak Russian. And it's not going to happen that way with pianos or guitars or anything like that, most likely. But the desire, the faith is born in a single moment. I want to use this gift. I want to use this talent for the glory of God. And I was listening to Cassidy up here this morning. And something's changed with Cassidy. I mean, I'm just telling the truth. She always say, okay, but the anointing, something about her and Shaleen there together, it's like there's a double anointing. It's, it's, it's like something has just changed. And it's, it's beautiful to see that. But that change would never have come if Cassidy didn't just keep coming every Thursday evening. Keep looking and keep practicing. Keep, you know, doing all the work that it takes to make that happen. These people worked at it, but they were anointed by God not to sing songs, but to prophesy. To prophesy the move of the Holy Spirit in the tabernacle of David. So, what were their names? Asaph, Heman, and Jehoshaphat. Look through the book of Psalms. You will find Psalms ascribed to each one of these three men. They wrote the Word of God. They prophesied the Word of God. And their psalm, not only David wrote Psalms, but these three guys wrote Psalms also. And here's what I want you to know. I could go into a lot of the details of this. But I've got to cut it off. Too much. Too many historical details. This is what you've got to know. All three of these men are also of the high priestly line of Aaron. They are priests. And all the 24 elders set up as the worship team in the tabernacle of David, they are priests before God. And all these 24 and these 24, the Word and the Spirit, their whole ministry is to minister to the high priest who is Jesus Christ. 
Our ministry isn't even to other people. We are gathered here to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we minister to him, that ministry flows into the whole world like rivers of living water that spring up from out of the inside of us. Go with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Just going to wrap this up. This is what we've been heading towards, but I want you to get to it now. We have all the background. Acts chapter 15. You remember what we talked through this chapter already. The big question is, if people are going to come to Jesus, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to keep all the dietary laws of Moses? And there was a huge question then. And after they've had this council and talked over all these things, James, the brother of Jesus, stands up. And it says in verse 15 that James, the brother of Jesus, says, With this the words of the prophets agree. Agree with what? That God is choosing people from among the Gentiles for his own name. That God is saving the lost and bringing him to, to, his, to his tabernacle, to his house. It says, with this the words of the prophets agree. And he quotes from Amos, chapter 9. Just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. We've been reading for the last 30 minutes about the tabernacle of David. And James proclaims that the day has come for that tabernacle to be rebuilt. It will be rebuilt by Jesus. And it has been rebuilt. Over 60-something years ago, if it's not already 70 years ago, Jesus came to Garrington, Nevada. And he came in the person of people like Gene Jesson and others. But Jesus came here. And he came here to build up the tabernacle of David in Garrington, Nevada. And it's needed repairs over the years, and it needs some repairs now. But it's the tabernacle of David. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Now, there's a lot of teaching on the tabernacle of David out there, and a lot of different ideas about the tabernacle of David. But I'm going to make this real simple for you, and I'm going to end with this verse. Actually, I have more. It's in your notes, but I'm going to end here. This is the Holy Spirit wants me to end right here with this. First Chronicles chapter 23. First Chronicles chapter 23. That's where we were. Listen to what David says. What is the tabernacle of David? Verse 25. 1 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 25. For David said... The Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people, and he dwells in Jerusalem forever. Also, the Levites will no longer need to carry the tabernacle and all the utensils for its service. For by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upward. And then it goes on into the things that we've already been reading about this morning. What did David say? He said, no longer. We have to carry this around everywhere. We, you have to carry this burden anymore. You know, you know how hard it is? Actually, I don't know if your father is, but how difficult it is to be a Levite back in those Old Testament times. It's a lot of heavy weight they had to carry around all the time. And every time the cloud of God moved, they had to pack everything up. You like good camping? Well, the worst part of camping is the last day where you have to put it all away, right? <laughs> Maybe the first day where you have to gather it all together. They did that over and over again. And every whim of God, whenever the cloud moved, oh, we've got to pack it all up again. It was hard work. 
So David's giving them the good news. You don't have to carry this burden anymore. It's the good news that Jesus is preaching today to us. You don't have to carry this burden anymore. I have established a place, and let's just move that from Jerusalem to Yerington. I have established a place in Yerington, Nevada, a place of rest, a home where the presence of God dwells, where people come from every nation. Do you know at the tabernacle of David, for whatever reason, God allowed this. Okay, I know the reason. The reason was, is that it's a type of the New Testament church. But the only time in the Old Testament history that God allowed the Ark of the Covenant, this is the Ark of the Covenant, in a type, in a symbol, in a shadow. This is my bread, my body, he says. This is my blood. He allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be open. And not only the high priest could come once a year, but everybody could come. And they sang songs, and they danced, and they raised their hands, and they, you know, that's how they worship there in Israel. Look at them on YouTube if you don't believe me. <laughs> they were excited in the presence of God, and they were ministered to by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And it was a little tiny window of time. After Solomon built the temple, so they closed the doors. Don't let the people into the presence of God anymore. And they went back to the law of Moses. But that little window of time was a picture of Yerington Vineyard Fellowship today, what we are supposed to be, what a New Testament church is, a place where the presence of God inhabits that house. The, in Aramaic, the Jewish rabbis, they called it the Shekinah. We usually say it like Shekinah. It means the tent of God, the presence, overcovering presence of God. You walk in to that presence, and he is there. But the rabbis didn't have just that word. They had another Aramaic word, which is Dabar, and it means the word of God. And John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the word of God. It also says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word and the presence, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We need to hunger for that in our church. We need to hunger for that in our church. You know, we hear sermons, and, you know, whether it's a good sermon or not so good sermon. I know one thing, every, you know, single Sunday, you know, if I'm preaching the Word of God, or somebody's ministering the Word of God, we're striving to bring the Word of God to us. But, you know, it's not enough to hear the Word, is it? We're just deceiving ourselves if we hear this, but we don't do this. If we're doing the Word of God, then we're not going to be sitting in a corner and not know anybody else in the church. We're going to be in, in one mind, in one accord, and we're going to be dedicated to prayer. And we're going to be drawing close to the Lord. We're not going to carry all these grudges around all the time. We're going to forgive one another. You just don't know what He did to me. Big deal. Just let it go. I mean, you can see this is a cancer eating you alive. Just let it go. Let God take care of them. You just follow after Jesus. Walk in the love of God. They were walking in that, and that was the atmosphere that allowed the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them. Okay? We need, we so need today. I, had a, I don't know, did he ever show up today? Once? He didn't show up, did he? There's a guy in Wani here. You need to pray for Wani. He's down there in this Mason, whatever that old Masonic Lodge thing is there. You know what I'm talking about? Just right in the street. That seems like a pretty scary place. Whatever it is. He's down there living there. And, and 
I'm telling you, he needs Jesus. He prayed with us that he's just so completely lost. And what's doing it to him is mad. And it's doing it to young people and old people all over this valley. And it's just a plague. It's a curse. It's just Satan manifesting himself in the lives of people that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We can't just play church. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God that drives demons out of people's lives. That sets people free. It's not just come and know our religion and repeat this prayer and that everything's going to be okay. No, come and meet my Jesus. He will change your life forever. Amen. Let's stand together. The worship team's going to come up here. The 24 elders, come on up here. And then we have elders, ministers, just say elders, you know, maybe the official elder board, but we've got to get beyond that and understand we are elders in the body of Christ. We have ministers coming up to serve communions this morning. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.